Super Talk Mississippi media production. Spring is in the air, and that means it's time to refresh your wardrobe with the season's hottest trends at the Black Sheep Boutique. Don't blend in this spring. Stand out with the Black Sheep Boutique with two locations to serve you in Tupelo or Saltillo or online at theblacksheepboutiquetupelo.com. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Will East in for the vacationing rhino. We'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all, as Rhino would say. Welcome, Will. How's it going, man? It goes. It's a little messy outside. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Windy, a little rain. Yeah. It got a, on the way in, it got a little. Uh, heavier the rain did. The wind was kind of rushing around. I had to pull my grill in and underneath the patio and the, move the fire. I was, I was afraid all that stuff would get thrown around with all this wind. But Back down the hatches. Um, yeah. Although it, it wasn't as bad as forecast. I didn't really... A lot of schools were out. I did see that. I guess a uh, little precaution there. Um, but it looks like it's almost out of here. Just yeah. the last check of the radar. So, which is good news. And then it's going to get cold. <laughs> Very cold. It's going to get cold. The uh, You better bring some food. You better go to the grocery store and bring some food up here, Gerard, because you remember last time oh, it got really cold. please tell me that ain't going to happen again. I, you, uh, got, you got stuck up here for about a week. <laughs> it was perezing me because <laughs> Rhino couldn't get out of his uh, his, his residence, remember? He couldn't, yeah. he couldn't get here. And it was Perez and... Uh, he was he was beat because by the time I'd go on, I could just look at him and tell he just got through doing three hours, you know. <laughs> and I was surviving off of Cheez-Its and Twix bars, <laughs> as I recall. Uh, stayed in the hotel that we had to walk to because we couldn't drive. Yeah, really, even that short distance. I'm gonna get some of those MREs that the soldiers <laughs> use and pack them up, you know, here for you for you. <laughs> Man, I hope that doesn't happen. And I'm and I'm telling you, and you know this. When Perez and I were in here doing the show, we were the only people in the building. <laughs> we were solo in this building. There ain't no doubt. But it's going to get cold. I, I don't uh, see, at least in the next several days, any forecast for the sort of precipitation that we experienced a couple of years ago that shut the whole place down and caused us to stay up in the hotel here. So we could bring the show. And the hotel didn't have any food. Yeah, Remember? everybody was out of food. Everybody was out of food. Oh, gosh. So we had to rough it there for a while. Well, we got a lot of stuff going on, including the much-anticipated committee assignments. Uh, chair folks have been uh, appointed in the 
Mississippi Senate and in the Mississippi House. The Senate came out uh, yesterday afternoon, and this just literally this morning, we got the information from uh, Speaker White's office as to what that looks like. So off to the races we are now that we have a committee assignments in place. And, of course, those legislators will start start uh, dropping bills and legislation. That would be the next step. And then they'll get assigned to committees, and they'll deliberate them. And those which pass out of committee will go to the floor for further consideration and deliberation, and then they'll vote on them. So that's where we are here in the great state of Mississippi. Brand new term. Any big surprises? I didn't really see any, honestly. I mean, I, I you know, I haven't studied it, uh, especially with the House just coming out a little while ago. I, I didn't see anything that was earth-shaking respect, with respect to that. Now, I'm sure that you'll hear some folks who will grouse about the fact that we have some Democrat chairpersons, once again, over there in the Senate. And honestly, you know, just a, the math works out such that unless you were to appoint a Republican to multiple committee chair positions, uh, you're going to end up with some Democrats because we have more committees than we have people is the way it works out. Or Republicans, pardon me, more committees than we have Republicans in the Senate. You've got a lot of of committees, basically. That's right. Uh, I haven't counted them, but uh, I recall in last session when I was reviewing that, it seemed like it was 46 is what I remember. Yeah. Uh, Things like state library. Yeah, that is. Public property, ports. Yeah. Local. Yes. County affairs. Correct. Highways, finance, forestry, gaming. Yes. I mean... (laughs) And so I believe you're – are you going through the list of all yeah, those? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just glancing by, around. Enrolled – what is enrolled bills? What I've never – un, I don't really know. I've never understood <laughs> that. And several of these, as I recall looking this up last year, like never got a bill. Yeah, executive uh, control fund. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, Juan Barnett, chair of corrections, a Democrat from Heidelberg, Mississippi. Derek Simmons from Greenville, chairs county affairs. Angela Turner Form, drugs, from West Point. Just looking through the other Democrat appointments. Investigate state offices. What is that? I have no idea. David Jordan, enrolled bills, as you pointed out. Executive Control Fund is uh, will be chaired by Solly Norwood, a Democrat from Jackson. You know, the uh, finance appropriations... No no the surprises ones. there. Yeah. yeah, Briggs Hobson, Republican from Vicksburg, will head appropriations. Senator Josh Harkins from Rankin, finance. So, you know, a lot of stuff happens there. Economic and workforce development, Daniel Sparks from Belmont, been on the program several times before. Just looking through the other Democrats, David Jordan, and this, the enrolled bills from Greenwood. I, I couldn't tell you what they do, honestly. Uh, so who else we got? David Blunt. Gaming, it's been on the program yeah. several times, a Democrat. And I'll say this with respect to Senator Blunt. He does know a lot about the industry. I mean, he, he has educated himself on that. Uh, and then, of course, I, I, just looking through here, Will, you got vice chair, which are powerful as well. And I only see a couple 
like interstate cooperation has a chair and a vice chair that are Democrats. Hillman Frazier, the chair, Solly Norwood, the vice chair. Investigate state offices. Two Democrats, Albert Butler and Sarita Simmons. So I don't even know what that is, I'm sorry to say. Uh, Joey Fillingame, chair of Judd B. Bryce Wiggins, chair of Judd A. Two Republicans. Tyler McCon, vice chair of Judd A. Daniel Sparks, vice chair, Judd B. Labor. Jason Barrett, Republican from Brookhaven. I want to say that may have been Senator Horn's committee last time, the Democrat from Jackson. Uh, just looking through here, focused kind of on the Democrats. Public Health, Senator Hob Bryan, David Parker, position from Olive Branch, Republican, the vice chair. Senator Bryan, as long as I can remember, he's been in the Senate a long time. He's chaired that committee. He, that You know, that's somewhat powerful. Uh, let's see here. Who else we got on the Democrat side in place? I mean, it's just so many dang committees. I think I got them all at this point. John Horn, the Democrat from Jackson, is the vice chair of Veterans and Military Affairs. I, I may have missed it. Was he appointed as a chair to any committee? I see the vice chair appointment. Just looking through I'm trying here. to find out what this Investigate State Offices Committee does. And Man, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> There's no information about what it actually I don't know. does. Uh, elections, Jeremy England, the Republican from Van Cleve, Dennis DeBar, again appointed to chair the Education Committee, Republican from Leakesville, David Blunt, the Democrat from Jackson, serving as vice chair, Energy, Chair Joel Carter from Gulfport, Scott Delano will serve as the chair, just on the program, uh, chair of the Environment Committee. Ethics, Mike Seymour. Uh, yeah, forestry, I think we got that. Tyler McCon, he will continue to serve in that role just on the program earlier this week. Republican from Newton. Government structure. I'm not sure what that is, honestly, so I apologize for that. Jennifer Branning, Republican from Philadelphia, I think returns as the chair of highways. Yeah, okay, John Horn. He is the Democrat from Jackson serving as the chair of housing. I felt like it would be. Walter Michelle is my, actually was my senator, and after redistricting now, Senator Horn is my senator, but Walter, a good friend, and so is Senator Horn, um, is chair of insurance. He knows a lot about that. He's, I think he's a good choice in that regard. So there you go, folks. When we come back, we'll, I don't know if we got time to go through all the <laughs> committees There's of so the House. There's so many committees, Gerard. <laughs> That's crazy. We are committed up, aren't we? <laughs> so we're good to go. The great Jerry Rafferty bumping us out of the first segment here on Middays. We've got, speaking of committees, we've got Representative Vince Mangold coming on the program next in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. Keeps Mississippi talking. 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio, and we welcome to the program now Vince Mangold, a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives, represents a District 53. 53. Mangold. Yes, sir. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, I've seen you around at all the various social activities. We've <laughs> yeah. had enough of that, haven't we? We had quite a few. Yes, sir. We're ready to go to work now. All the, all the parties are done. All right, so tell us about it. I'm just looking through the list of uh, committee assignments, well, committee chair, vice chair, and a little bit of musical chairs going on Yes, sir, it was some turnover. (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh, So you are serving as the chair of ethics. Hope we never meet. Right, and the vice chair of uh, agriculture. Agriculture, which, you know, if if the folks don't know it, that's what I do when so I'm you not. you know a little bit about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's what I do when we don't uh, meet at the legislature. We farm. So I uh, <laughs> like to keep my hands in that. Gotcha. Well, uh, you know, let's, let's look at a couple of these, these major committees, uh, I think. Um, appropriations, chair, John Reed. Yes, sir. Still in place there. And then you've got some other sort of subcommittees, subcommittees right? Subcommittees, yes, sir. They've A, B, C, D, E. Big ones there. Yeah. So that's new, right? That's new. That's yes, new. We hadn't had that before. But that that's, a, uh, I think, a big enough function and task where that maybe makes it's, sense. It's huge. And what they're hoping to do with those four subcommittees is kind of streamline where folks can look a little bit more in-depth at the agency's budgets and and all of them that come before the appropriations. Yeah. We got uh, Judd A, Judd B. Those are two that usually get a lot of activity. Yes, sir. Uh, Joey Hood sharing A. I think he did last time, right? No, Kevin. Joey was chair of Medicaid. Medicaid. Okay. All right. And then uh, Kevin Haran, uh, Judd B. He had corrections. And then, uh, that's right. And then, of course, uh, we had Nick Bain yes, in, in there. So, but that we don't have anymore. So, um, and then we got Medicaid chair, Missy McGee. Yes, sir. Uh, public health, Sam Creekmore. Sam Creekmore. change there. Uh, education, uh, Rob Robertson, mm-hmm. and uh, used to be Mr. Bennett in that right. role. So from the coast. So just looking through there, some of the some of the changes, ways and means. Uh, uh, Chairman the same. Trey Lamar stays the same. So. Uh, little bit of turnover, but, you know, not just a whole not lot. Not earth-shattering. Yeah. Accountability, efficiency, transparency, Kevin Ford. Uh, our buddy Fred Shanks, he uh, he moved around. He's rules now, right? He is fisting to get busy. <laughs> He's going to be really busy. He's going to be he really gotta, busy. He's got to work for anybody else. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. But, yeah, he is going to uh, be quite popular. Yeah. State Affairs, uh, Representative Hank Zuber. Mm-hmm. Was he not insurance last time? I think he was insurance. Yeah. I didn't even look to see. uh, Jerry Turner. 
is now. Yeah, Turner's Insurance. Along with Tracy Arnold, so on insurance. So, uh, Military Affairs, uh, Bubba Carpenter mm-hmm. is in there. Freshman Rodney Hall, vice chair. Just looking at some of the freshmen as well. That yeah, A lot of freshmen got some, some duty vice here, chair. Vice chair, yeah. Sure did. Uh, Jonathan McMillan, for example, with forestry. Yep, talked with him right before I left. Okay. I, we we kind of went over his committees. I'll be on, I think, four of his committees that uh, that he serves on, so we'll serve together. Okay. He, of course, is uh, newly elected from Madison County, from yep. my home county there. Yeah. I think Jonathan's going to do a good job for y'all. Technology is my representative, Jill Ford. Yep, Jill is, Ford, uh, my, my new desk mate. Okay, serving in that role. Uh, representative Greg Haney. Tourism, if there was ever an appropriate appointment, it's got to be that one, isn't it? <laughs> I will agree with that. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, let's see. Universities and colleges, uh, chaired by uh, Donnie Scoggins. Donnie Scoggins. Yeah. He was, I think, vice chair uh, last year. That was the committee that Dr. Huddleston had. And, so, you know, we lost, we lost Doc. Yeah. So um, Donnie pretty much – was running it last year, so okay. he got he got rewarded for his time and effort there. Representative Bill Kincaid, uh, still in wildlife, fisheries, and parks. Yep. Staying there. Donnie Bell, workforce development. Otis Anthony, youth and family affairs. So don't want to leave anybody out. Uh, Casey Yuri, gaming. I think it's a good fit there, of course. Uh, energy, Jeff Hale. I think that's the same, is it not? Did Jeff serve? Uh, uh can't remember. Jeff, no, Energy was – what did Scott Bounds have? Scott had I, something. That may have been it. Yeah. You may be right there. Because Scott, Scott went with one of the uh, the big subcommittees up there. Okay, I see that. Yeah, Appropriations B uh, is, is where Representative Bounds is. And then Corrections, chaired by Becky Curry. Price Wallace has Constitution. Mm-hmm. That was Shanks last that was, time. That was Fred last time. And now time, he's, yeah. he's rules, so – uh, ethics, of course, you, and we hope we don't have anything. We hope you're the I, Maytag repairman there. I, I, I went ahead and told some of them that, uh, you know, kind of get uh, out of bounds sometimes. I said, look, I do not want to see any of y'all before my committee. That's right. Investigative state office. Can you explain to us what that is there, Representative Mango? The only thing I can think is is – is basically what the title is. I mean, I think, you know, if a state office, you know, something comes in question, I think they're going to be the ones okay. to, to look in it. And I think it's going to be similar to, you know, we have the peer committee yeah. uh, that investigates a lot of that stuff, the numbers yeah. and everything, and, and it may work with that. Okay. A um, little accountability move. Yes. Because yes. we got that, and I saw we have that in the Senate, too. That, by the way, is chaired by Representative Randy Boyd. Right. Uh, Marine Resources, Representative Brent Anderson, Management. Speaker Pro Tem, Manley Barton, local and private, Shane Barnett. That just about covers it. Uh, ports, harbors, and airports, uh, Representative Jeff Guy. Guys, you know, you were talking earlier um, about the Senate appointments and having some Democrats. You you had a few Democrats show up here. I see that. Yeah. 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 Uh, we got a bunch of committees, don't we? Yeah. A bunch of committees. Especially yes, with these new uh, appropriations, A, B, C, D, E. Mm-hmm. So we've sort of added well, a is there. the A is the That's complete the main appropriations, okay, I got and you. then B, C, D, and E are the, the subcommittees. Okay. So we've added four, essentially, right. in the sub, subcommittees. Yeah. But again, you got a lot to do there. Conservation and Water Resources, uh, chaired by 
Timmy Ladner from right. down there in Poplarville. Yeah, I'm on that one. Business and Commerce, Rankin County Representative Lee Yancey. I believe they spelled his name wrong here in the press release. we got to get that fixed. Uh-oh. <laughs> Banking and Financial Services, uh, Shane Aguirre. I think we did it. I think we got it all. Larry no, Bird, think, County uh, Affairs. That's pretty good. Uh, Representative Stacy Hopgood Wilkes on the program earlier this week, a drug policy. Right. I think we got it. Executive Contingent Fund. Please explain what that is. Ooh, there. I, that was a new one to me. I, I mean, because I had a list of all the committees, and, and that is not one that was on the list. Okay. And that is, uh, let's see, that's chaired by Carolyn Crawford. Okay. And then we got Ken Morgan at Forestry, Carl Mickens Housing. We I think we got them all. So, all right. See, that, that housing is a new one. Oh, it is? Yes, sir. We had that in the Senate, though. Had it in the Senate. Right. Uh, and, and that was one of the things that I think the uh, the Democratic caucus had, had met with Jason. Okay. And uh, wanted to do something there. Okay. And so your, your housing, and, and it, it's not even on this list. Who is that chair on uh, housing? Is uh, that Mickens? It's Mickens. Great guy. Yeah. Great guy. He okay. came in the same time I did. Uh, great guy. Okay. Right, so what's next? I don't know. Well, now I hope we go to work. You know, I hope we go to work. Well, what's on your mind, uh, legislatively speaking? You got some specific priorities that you're going to be working on? Specific, um, you know, just try to, you know, I look at my job far as vice chair of ag is to protect the ag industry, which is the largest, uh, you know, industry in the state. Yeah. you know, same thing with forestry. I'm on that one, you know, because, I mean, you know, you're talking about huge numbers when you're dealing with forestry and ag, and, you know, those are kind of, you know, related. But, um, you know, a lot of times we play just defense before we really go on offense just to kind of protect, uh, you yeah. know, what we all do. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, that makes sense. Uh, perfect sense. All right, so uh, let's talk about a, a couple of the issues. Of course, we can kind of focus on what uh, Speaker of the House Jason White uh, discussed uh, mm-hmm. during his uh, uh, his being swearing in his his kind of announcement on all that and his his discussion. We got a break right here, but I'm sorry we took the segment up going through the committees. But oh, it's important because our, mean, our our folks don't know about it. It's yes, hot off I the mean, press. They need to know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. you know, and they can find like you've got that list right there. They can find it all. Yeah, we'll come back and uh, dig into some of the more meaty legislative matters. We're speaking with Representative Vincent Mangold in the Element Well Studio. We're coming right back. Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Welcome back 
back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi, a little 25 or 6 to 4. That is a staple whenever Will is serving in the role of producer on middays. Uh, I can't remember who it is, but there's some company that's using the song in their television advertising. You notice that? Yeah, they, uh, you know, a lot of these guys have gotten older and they've passed away, and now their kids have the rights to the music, so <laughs> yeah. they want to get paid, so they sell the rights to these companies, and now you hear them in commercials. I didn't stuff. know that. Is that what's going on there? Yeah, a lot well, of it. I always perk up every time I hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're visiting with Representative uh, Vince Mangold. We were just going through the brand new, hot off the press, co- hot off the press. <laughs> committee chair and vice chair that came out of the. Uh, Mississippi House of Representatives, uh, issued by newly uh, anointed Speaker of the House, Jason White. So here we go. We got Senate committees uh, yesterday. Speaker White, um, just before we went to break there, he he went down kind of a list of things that I think he wants to work on, Mm -hmm. an ambitious agenda at a minimum. Uh, you know, one of those things, of course, is to continue to chip away at some sort of uh, tax reform. You know, I we, think that's going to be a, another priority. Coming up again. Mm-hmm. The, I, I think it's I, coming. Yeah, I have described it, uh, Representative Mangold, as uh, Governor Tate Reeves' top priority. I think every time I saw him speak um, during the campaign. He on it every time. Every time he mentions yep. it. That, that's something he'd like to get done. They don't seem to be quite as excited about it over in the Senate. I they think, never are. It's <laughs> the way to put it. But I think this is going to get uh, – we're going to get a bill or two well, again, huh? I mean, I've heard you talk about it and, and, and the other folks on here. You know, I think as long as we do it with a in a, in a cautious manner, you know, just to kind of – as long as things are going like they are, yeah. we're in good shape, you can pull it off. But, you know, if things were to change, you know, to have something in there to kind of – uh, not put us in a bind because we yeah. are able to enjoy the you know the fruits of very conservative leadership right now in our state and uh, our state has been blessed for it. Yeah, and and that's uh, essentially what uh, Representative Trey Lamar. Mm-hmm. That's course, probably who I was. was what he said. To. I heard y'all on. Yeah, that. ways and means, of course, and so uh, he, he spearheaded that effort mm-hmm. to a great extent along with the Speaker of the House Philip Gunn. Uh, in in the bill that we finally did get across the finish line that did uh, take a chunk out of the the personal income tax, the individual income tax in the state. So I think that's going to get some attention. I think think it'll get some attention. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Something I've kind of referred to as unfinished business, the the citizen ballot initiative process. You know, we've gotten bills passed in the House, and and they they met their fate over in the Senate. Couldn't get that through. The big, of course, difference is, the number of signatures required. Right. To, to I think get. ours was where it was before. It was. And theirs was a little higher. Higher. Um, so you we'll know, see. I think there's probably room in the middle somewhere that it'll work. Uh, I don't think it needs to be so easy that, uh, you know, it would be real easy to get something on a ballot. Uh, you know, make them work for it. Yeah. Uh, but I think they still need a voice uh, other than their legislature. So. Yeah. I think it it probably something will happen. The, I think the good thing is that that everybody agrees uh, with is this idea of the uh, citizen measure uh, actually having a, an impact on statute as opposed to being embedded in the Absolutely. constitution. Absolutely, I, I would not support something going back into the constitution um, statute if you know, and, and we do it every year. I mean, you know, we'll pass something. And then you'll have some unforeseen circumstance arise out of it that nobody saw coming, 
and then you have to come in and adjust. And so yeah. that would be the same measure there. And that's kind of messy, as you yeah. know, to dig into the Constitution and do that. So, uh, all right. And then, uh, you know, something else that's that's uh, going on as well is uh, just health care, you know, healthcare. and how to address the health care issue. And, and um, the speaker, he addressed that. He, not, nothing specific at this point, just noting that, hey, this is a, a problem in our state. It's a problem. We, we need to uh, coalesce around it. I, I will share with you. And uh, this also for the benefit of the audience, um, I finally completed a very long, comprehensive article about health care in the state and maybe some kind of, I call it, out-of-the-box thinking on how to address mainly the uninsured population. Well, something a little different. Yeah, and I think that's what yeah. we need to do, stimulate the creative yep. uh, juices of the brain trust in the state. And, and is it available to it read? It is. Yet? So I, I want the audience to know that as well, because I've been kind of teasing it, and I finally finished it. And uh, our news director, J.T. Mitchell, published it at supertalk.fm. You can find it. You okay, can Google good. my name in healthcare or whatever you want to do at Supertalk Healthcare. And by the way, the... Uh, the, the title of the article is that we need out-of-the-box thinking to solve Mississippi's health care woes. I, I think you're probably exactly spot on with that. Um, it's a complex matter. Very it, complex. It's incredibly complex, way more, I think, than the person on the street uh, realizes. And not that they should have to understand right. all that stuff. But I think what it does mean and, and what it, I think it does warrant, and I think the speaker agrees with this, is I don't know that you could just assemble a group of legislators and say, okay, you guys get in a room and figure this out. No, no. It um, needs to be some other folks involved. you got to get um, subject matter experts from just a, right. a, a large cross-section of disciplines. And, and that's actually what I suggest in the article. Right. And and uh, Jason and I have chatted about that mm-hmm. as, as well. Uh, well, his his thought process is, is he wants to get a, you know, a good cross-section of the people involved in the room and say, so, hey, let's figure this out, which is what you're alluding to right there. It is. So yeah. hopefully we can um, at least get to that point yes. and, and start the discussion. And And I think it's wise to say, hey, everything can be on the table. You know, we may not agree, and it may not be something we adopt right. and take up and move forward with. But, gosh, at a minimum, let's, let's get the, the thoughts let's going. Let's get the ball rolling. Yeah. Okay. So because uh, you know what happens is, Representative Mangold, is almost any time we talk about health care, it devolves into a rather contentious discussion about whether or not to expand Medicaid. It, it I mean, would you agree with that? There. Yeah, that's where we end up. And I and I I just want to point out that there's some other things we can do as well, um, and we got to think about ways, including how to get insurance or coverage to uh, the large number of Mississippians right. who don't have it. And and I don't know. I'm sure you've probably heard. I keep hearing more and more advertisements on insurance for those people so i i haven't in the exchanges right i yeah. haven't dug into it to see what works what doesn't work but you're hearing more advertisement for you are for that you are and i dig into that in great detail by the way okay, in, good in the article along with a, a pretty easy to read chart that says hey this is what those subsidies look like before the american rescue plan and then the inflation reduction act made those more permanent, this is what it looks like now. And I go through some math in there on this is an option. The issue we got there is we need more insurance carriers right. to sell insurance in the exchanges. We got Blue Cross Blue Shield, for example, uh, which has the most robust network, provider network in the state. They don't participate. Right. Uh, and then we got um, uh, uh, four other carriers, I think, that uh, maybe we could work with them in the hospitals to expand the network, as an example. So there's just some... 
again, some just it just creative needs thinking. to be those people in the room and let's figure it out. Yeah, exactly. So that that's a big one. And then um, let's talk about skill choice. Um, I think the the speaker is uh, open to ideas there and, and a way to and, and maybe expand will, on that. I will say that you know if the school that 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 child is in is not getting it done, that that parent ought to have the right. Okay. Right. To, to to move somewhere else. You know, what comes up a lot, um, Vince, is, is that f- folks always start um, spouting all the various fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you, you've heard it, I'm sure. Well, they think everybody's going to a, right. a local private school. Yeah. And, 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 and I promise you the private schools are, are, are not pushing for this. That's right. And I would not support, and I don't think the legislature should compel the private schools. You have to accept everybody that applies. They ought to be able to maintain their same standards and exactly admissions right. policies. I think that's what you'll see. I okay. don't think it's going to be a push, uh, you know, for private school. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think they get through. But if, if somebody applied and they were able to get a savings account and then they went and applied to a private school and the private school accepted them just like they would any other student? That's the way it ought to work. That's the way it ought to work in my yep. view. Okay, yep. well, hopefully... We can uh, move through that and get something done. Now, that stops short of what's called universal school choice, which just means every every student can pick wherever they want to go, and they can use the money Wild allocated. In. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's tenable in the state of Mississippi, honestly. I, I don't know if that... At this point, I'd right. say. Now, At maybe this point, we can phase into it, that. Uh, yeah. the way to go. Yeah. Um, now, with some experience and kind of dipping our toe here, maybe we could get to that point and... You know, I, I don't I don't oppose that. I, I just uh, I'm not sure that we could get that through at this point. It would point be difficult. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and you the argument you hear is that you know the less fortunate are not going to be able to participate because they're not going to have the means to to get from where they live to a it's another tra- district. It's a transportation or, issue. Yeah, yeah, and you know, in those. Can't afford to run a bus to go pick, you know, one kid yeah, up. That's not practical. You know, so that's not practical. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot of stuff that, you know, the parents are going to have to to step up in a lot of this. Yeah, I totally agree, and yep. we've got to hold them more accountable. Yep, they have to be held more accountable. Well, that's pretty much a rundown, I think, of the major issues. Unless there's anything else you got? No, no. But you know, like I said earlier, you know, we've got a big weekend with uh, hunting with some special needs kids. So, thank you for that. Uh, you know, we're doing that. Uh, we've got nine hunters coming in. Uh, you know, and and take them and and to to take a kid that never has had the opportunity to deer hunt. Uh, or turkey hunt, or, or some even fish. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, so we're going to do that, and uh, hopefully we'll have some good success. We, we ought to have good weather. It's going to be cold. But... Representative Vince Mangold, thanks a lot. Coming right back, folks. Three. Bring the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. On the drums there in Rush, none better. The best. 
We are back in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow trending downward all morning, now down 220 points. The NASDAQ down 27 points. Uh, Continued concerns about inflation being a little sticky. I think what the Fed is finding is that it's a whole lot easier to go from 7 8% annualized inflation down to 3 and change, which is about where we are now, than it is going from 3 and change down to 2, which is the Fed's target. So the markets are saying, you know, we were baking in a series of rate cuts, as many as six this year, because they feel like the Fed's got inflation under control. And then yesterday we get this CPI report, which was, uh, it, let's just say, it defied expectations. It came in a little hotter than expected, and that rattled the markets a bit. Um, I, I don't know where it's going, honestly. I, I'm, I just saw that Citigroup, announced 20,000 layoffs. I think that's next. So the banks announced today, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, and uh, fell short of revenue, which is a concern. So there is, uh, in the investment community, anticipation of financial headwinds. When you really start seeing things get cranked up, from a, uh, a political perspective, is when folks start losing their jobs. Because when people are working, there there certainly are concerns about the economy. In our case, or the present case, I should say, just inflation. Everybody's felt the pinch of that. And, and uh, even though the president runs around bragging about how he has cooled inflation, which it's true, it has cooled. It's not the 9% it was in June of 22 on an annualized basis. Still, though, what most most people look at is I'm still paying a lot more money for this stuff than I was before you were in office. And so that is more visible and I think and more flu influential to how they may cast their ballot than is trying to spout all these inflation numbers when you're measuring these short periods of time and things like that. So that is going to be a factor. There's no doubt about it. Also want to pass on, we got some ZZ Top tickets to give away later on in the program. But that's a bit of an update on where uh, the markets are. We were just talking, Will, about these new committee assignments, brand new, uh, announced yesterday by Lieutenant Governor Hoseman in the Senate, and then Speaker of the House Jason White this morning uh, in the House. Um, uh, Some things stayed the same. Some things changed a little bit. We will... Certainly get a gauge of how folks uh, feel about that. But more importantly, I think it's down to work and start addressing these issues. I want to pass on once again, just because folks have been asking about it, uh, this column that I wrote uh, entitled, We Need Out-of-the-Box Thinking to Address Mississippi's Health Care Woes. You can find that along with a whole bunch of other information at supertalk.fm, our website, our news department there. Does and our app. That's right. Thank you. On the app, uh, does a great job of covering the news from across the state. In fact, we've got Caleb Sailors at eleven twenty. He works in the Super Top Mississippi News Department as a multimedia journalist, and he'll uh, review the news from across the state 
over the past week and give us a glimpse into what they'll be tracking in the next week. And don't forget uh, the newsletter as well is an excellent uh, source. So um, this article that I wrote, uh, I'll warn you, if you hadn't had a chance to dig into it, Will, uh, but the audience, my warning is it's long, it's uh, it's comprehensive, but it's uh, it's a complicated matter. And probably the first half of it or so is more of a, a primer, I guess, on health care policy with a focus on uh, not so much um, the clinical aspect of health care, but rather the economic aspect. That's really kind of the focus here. And then after we kind of give a primer, um, I just jump into um, this debate on Medicaid expansion, just some thoughts there, uh, sharing both the opponent's views on it and the proponent's views on it and some commentary. And then I jump into, oh, a handful of just suggestions, proposals, ideas that uh, are, in fact, kind of out of the box and that they haven't really been discussed. And, and the intent really is to stimulate the uh, the thought process in, in the hopes that we can assemble a brain trust, as I call it, to address the issue. And you heard Representative Mangold. I think he supports that concept. I think so does uh, the Speaker of the House. Haven't really heard that much from the Lieutenant Governor on it or, or the Governor. And But we'll see where all that goes. You can find it at supertalk.fm, along with reports on the committee assignments and all the other news from across the state of Mississippi. We thank you so much for joining us today. It is time for Fox News and Super Talk News because it's top of the hour. Already here, 11 o'clock here across the Magnolia State. We're coming back with more on Midday. Stay with us. And now, and now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays is live from the Element Well Studio, the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Today on In the Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear another interview with author and Mississippi music historian Wesley Smith. In the Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish, Remember, there's catfish, then there is superior catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant. Go to superiorcatfish.com for more info. All right, so back um, here with you in the Element Well studio. Don't forget Caleb Sailors, a multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News in the next segment. We got the Iowa caucus coming up on Monday, Will, and they're predicting a major snowstorm up there. Yeah, they said it may might impact the voting. Yeah, I mean, serious weather coming through that place. So we shall see. Here closer to home, we got a boil water notice going on, right, in central Mississippi? Central Mississippi and... Uh, um, 
and apparently some tests came back and it was bad and said so don't drink the water don't drink the water yeah how about that also uh, overnight <clears throat> we had a u.s led coalition launching strikes on uh, multiple Houthi rebel targets in Yemen. That's caused oil prices to jump up a little bit. It has. Exactly right. Just so much chaos there in the Middle East. It's just always a powder keg, it seems like. And that always does have an effect because so much oil, as you know, comes from the region. But it's it's always on fire. Always. Jeez. It's just crazy. Um. I I saw an article that I thought was fascinating about Governor Ron DeSantis. Now, we we went through the debate that uh, was conducted a couple of nights ago that include, involved Governor Ron DeSantis, Governor Nikki Haley. They went at it, I think really kind of vying for second place at this point, based on all the polls in the caucus in Iowa. And this was on CNN. It was two hours, and I, I watched it. Now, at the same time, former President Donald Trump's doing a town hall on Fox with Martha McCallum and Brett Baer. It got more viewers, I saw, um, in the some of the media reports on that. But CNN doesn't get a lot of viewers anyhow, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of down. Yeah, I don't know how many Republicans are watching CNN on a yeah. regular basis. Yeah. But I endured all two hours. Um, I watched a little bit of it, and you know, personal attacks and it's all it was. Other and (sighs) it was down to them now. You know, uh, Christie's dropped out. Vivek, it's it's these two and Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. So, but um, right off the bat, DeSantis (laughs) described uh, Nikki Haley as mealy mouth, (laughs) and then Nikki Haley. 13 times referred to a website she has called DeSantisLies.com. <laughs> she went through that. But where I was going is, during one of the breaks, Governor DeSantis came off the stage to uh, just at Drake University. That's where it was held in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, just to greet his wife and a couple of the other folks there in the audience, he shook her hand. So there's a photo going around of him and his wife shaking hands, like at a distance. It's kind of weird. I just look very collegial, you know, almost. It's not what you'd expect. From, I mean, I'm not suggesting there's anything going on. It just caught my eye. I thought that was a little odd. This is that weird stretch where Iowa, and then it's like this. You know, what is it, a month later we have New Hampshire and then South Carolina. You know, That's it's, right. It's this weird stretch. And this is really where presidential campaigns are won and lost. Yeah. It's momentum. No doubt. Well, I personally believe, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this, I don't know that it's really going out on a limb, that it'll be settled at the end of March. That I think by the time we get through the primaries through that period, that it's... it's uh, Donald Trump on the Republican side, Joe Biden on the Democrat side. I mean, I just don't see any, any way to change that. The former president did during the town hall say that he's selected his vice presidential candidate, although the way he worded it, you couldn't really tell 
does he mean he has has kind of developed a list of the criteria that he's looking for in in a running mate, or does he have a specific person in mind? It wasn't clear. Yeah. I have said that uh, I'm expecting Representative Elise Stefanik to be his choice. I, I do. I, I I don't think it's going to be Nikki Haley. I don't think it's going to be DeSantis, Vivek, anybody else that's running. And I think we're kind of down to those three at this point. I don't see it being that. I I think Representative Elise Stefanik, she's the one, of course, uh, kind of thrust into the limelight quite a bit a couple of weeks ago as she was questioning the president of uh, the three schools that were on the Hill talking about the anti-Semitism activity going on on their campus. She's a Harvard graduate, a New York Republican, big-time Trump supporter. Uh, I've always liked her, honestly. I think she is likely to be his choice. The the other option I've thought about, the other possibility, Senator Rick Scott. Uh, pardon me. Uh, Tim Scott. Pardon me. Not Rick Scott. Tim Scott yeah. uh, from South Carolina. Of course, also a candidate for president. Drop, uh, dropped out of the race. Not so long ago, I, I could see that as a possibility, but I don't know. I'm just leaning towards Elise Stefanik as the possible pick by the former president. I did go back and watch some of the video of the town hall conducted by the former president, Donald Trump, on Fox. He actually impressed me more than um, in past town halls in that he just projected more presidential he seemed he seemed calm he seemed confident he you know he got asked again about this this uh this narrative that the democrats are promoting that he's going to engage in in retribution and exacting revenge on his uh, political adversaries and and that's the end of democracy of course and he said look i'm not going to have i'm not going to have time and so which I agree with, and he said this. I'm sure somebody coached him on this and came up with this line. I thought it was brilliant. He said, our success will be our revenge. I like that. I absolutely like that. I thought it was brilliant. It could have been his own, but a lot of times, you know, there's professional wordsmithers that come up with that sort of stuff. That's what they pay those folks to do. They do test of it. You know how that works. It's marketing is what it is. But I thought that made sense. But yeah, you, uh, our success, and what that means to me is that our policies work, yours don't. You see, people are a lot happier now. Yeah, they weren't under you. I agree. That is exactly the the right approach. So, while he was doing that over there on CNN with Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, I mean, they're just assailing each other. Right there. They're frying each other. While he was over there, because he doesn't have an opponent on the stage, and so he could talk more about his vision, his plans, and so I, I give it to him. I'm I'm certainly impressed with with um, the way he handled that town hall. I thought it was good. I didn't think either Nikki Haley um, or Ron DeSantis really helped their cause. I just don't see them breaking through at this point. Yeah, for for one of them to to take it. The thing about New Hampshire, and you can lose Iowa, and they have lost Iowa, and then do better. It's all about momentum, you know. It's not. No it's you don't have to win every one of them, but it's about momentum. You have to have a good showing. If you don't have a good showing in Iowa, 
you can forget it. If you don't have a good showing of, of when you followed up in New Hampshire, you can definitely forget about it. But you got to have that. You got to increase from. You can lose Iowa, but you got to increase in New Hampshire. And then when you get to South Carolina, you got to re- really be on a roll. Well, you know what happens is that the money bolts. And the money, yeah, the money. It's like okay, well, this person's out of it, so I'm yeah. gonna take all my money out of out of your campaign coffers. I'm not gonna contribute anymore. I'm not gonna promise anymore. I'm gonna go with this person over there. That, so that's always the risk is that you you run out of of uh, powder. Essentially, yeah. and you can't keep running then a campaign. You put your presidential campaign on hold. Yeah, we're on hold. We're on hold. Yeah, and then so, yeah, you're done. But Monday the, is Iowa, and I think we're going to learn a lot. Somebody said, "Do you really believe that Biden will be the nominee?" I absolutely do. I'm convinced of it, and I shared the reason why. Um, it may have been yesterday, and it's really this simple. I think deals have been cut. With all those Democrat superdelegates, remember how you become the nominee. Those deals have been cut. Those promises have been made. Nobody else, I don't think, can jump in. Now, could something happen that would incapacitate the president's ability to run again? Sure. But at this point, unless that happens, I think he's it. We're coming right back with Caleb Sailors from Super Talk Mississippi News. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, a little Eagles here. <laughs> we welcome to the program now Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News. Oh, you don't have it. Okay. It's like when the substitute teacher, you know, comes into the classroom and uh, you know, what what chapter are you on? What what book are we reading today? Just checking. Hey, hey Will, I'm not complaining, man. I, I hear that Chiron plenty enough in the week. Not complaining at all. No problem whatsoever. So, all right, Caleb, we've got uh, a lot of stuff going on here in the state of Mississippi. We got these committee uh, chair and vice chair assignments that that we have seen, and I guess we got the. The, really, the full committee's assigned as well, right? Senate was announced yesterday. House was announced today. J.T. Mitchell is working to have the House's committee assignments up online, or they are up now. If you want to go to supertalk.fm to see who are in charge of committees in the House of Representatives, and we'll go through some of the ones on the Senate side here in this segment. But, Gerard, one of the biggest uh, news stories of the week comes from uh, the Division of Medicaid, we got the uh, governor's Medicaid reimbursement program. The first leg of it was approved by um, by Medicaid. And so it was $658 million delivered from the Mississippi Hospital Access Program. You know, that was kind of in response to this hospital crisis we're having in Mississippi, several on the brink of, you know, closing completely. And the governor was looking to solutions to that. And while this has passed and while hospitals are getting this chunk of money, many of which are very, you know, express gratitude for it, the lawmakers, you know, as we've started a new legislative session, 
are, are going to be still floating out Medicaid expansion. You know, some are for it, some are against it. We had uh, House Minority Leader Robert Johnson said he thinks it's a better proposal than what the governor has out there. But, you know, we have a newly elected uh, House Speaker and Jason White, and he says that he's going to look at it. He's going to have experts come to the table, talk about it, and I would expect them to at least bring it to a floor for a debate or discussion. And so while this is huge that hospitals are getting this near $700 million chunk of money, yeah. I don't think that's the end that's going to happen. I think the legislature really is going to look at Medicaid expansion as a solution this year. Well, it, I think they're going to take it up more seriously than they have in the past. I absolutely agree with that. And I, I hope they'll take a look at some of these ideas I floated in the article as an option of that as well. Absolutely. Very comprehensive list. I, I All 7,000 words of it are very good. <laughs> I, I Very good read, though. But for our listening audience, though, I, I would definitely read your op-ed and, and what, how you discussed it, how you broke down health care and Medicaid expansion, how it all works in Mississippi. It's something that the our leaders need to read and kind of acknowledge. But, you know, last year and years prior, Philip Gunn was so adamantly opposed to Medicaid expansion, he kind of like held it hostage, like it's not going to happen. But Jason White's more open to it. And yeah. so you, you're right. I definitely think they'll take it more seriously. I'm not sure that they will actually pass Medicaid expansion in its entirety. But there are alternate routes. You've you've outlined a lot of them, yep. and the state can pursue different paths to help this. But the bottom line is is that we do have a hospital crisis in the state of Mississippi. There's no doubt about that. There's no denying that. And so it's incumbent on our lawmakers to come up with solutions, and we'll see what they do. You know, we're in the infancy of this session, but we'll see uh, down the road. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, certainly one of the issues that they're going to be uh, taking up. But the big thing is we got this chunk of money, significant $650 million, yes. and, and that is being distributed to the hospitals. Yep. Um, I can't remember the exact formula, but there's a formula to determine those who participate in the yes. program, the hospital uh, access program. They get reimbursed at the same rates as uh, private insurance. Yeah. And um, yes, so that's that's a good thing. We, yeah. We're glad to see any kind of compensation to the hospitals. Huge story that broke recently out of ja- or out of Adams County, but relating to Hines County. Uh, three juveniles who escaped the Hines County uh, Youth Detention Center earlier this week have been captured. Hines uh, County Sheriff Tyree Jones reported that uh, Jason Jason Jones, Robert Smith, Tayshawn Holmes, they escaped Monday. They stole a Jeep at the property, then they ditched it, carjacked two other vehicles, and then shot a woman in the neck and had been on the run until this morning. They were caught in Adams County, and they're being put back into custody. But this trio had also escaped the same detention facility last year. And so something's got to be done to keep you – know, we've had issues with inmates escaping in Hines County, whether it be the Raymond Detention Center or this one, the Youth Detention Center. Something's got to be done. Accountability will definitely need to be held somewhere to keep people from escaping, especially dangerous criminals such as these these minors all under the age of 18, too. Okay. Which kind of goes hand in hand. You know, recently the city of Jackson approved a youth curfew, which, you know, City Councilman Kenneth Stokes was all about. And it kind of plays into why they did this, because you have these kinds of crimes going on right now. And then even when these kids go to a detention facility, they still find a way to escape. So... It's good to see they've been caught, though, not causing any um, further damage. Okay. Earlier you mentioned the committee assignments. Um, You know, kind of a big storyline from that this morning, Angela Hill came on the show, came on with Paul, with Gallo, and 
talked about how she said politics were kind of at play with some of these committee assignment decisions. She was booted from the education committee, and Dennis DeBar has taken her place as the chairman. But she said basically that she was too conservative for Delbert Hoseman, believed some of his politics were at play there. But we'll see how that kind of shapes out this uh, session. Of this. So did she say she was booted from being the chair? Because I'm pretty sure Senator DeBar was the chair last time. So maybe what she's talking about is just being on the committee. But on the or committee. vice chair, but, Yes. Yeah. Well, she's, she's not in, in leadership in that okay. anymore. Okay, gotcha. And so, yes, said politics are at play, <laughs> that she believes she was too conservative, quote-unquote, for Delbert Hoseman, which has been kind of a trope to attack the lieutenant governor. It kind of came from the lines of Chris McDaniel during the campaign trail. A lot yeah. of Politicians have said that as well. Um, but, you know, notable committee chairs from the Senate, though, we've got uh, on health care, which, again, we talked about the hospital crisis earlier. Hob Bryan will continue to chair the uh, health care committee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then education side, Dennis DeBar, we just talked about that. On the Medicaid side, again, we'll be looking at Medicaid expansion probably. It'll be discussed this year. Uh, Kevin Blackwell, he's been retained as the chairman of the Medicaid committee. Uh, gaming, you know, we've got – Sports betting on the horizon. Will it happen in Mississippi? Will they pass it? We don't know. But David Blunt will be kind of overseeing those on the ten, uh, Senate side. And then in transportation, you know, MDOT got historic funding last year, partially due to the committees in the House and Senate side. Jennifer Branning is um, is chairing the committee on transportation in the Senate. Right. And so that's some of the bigger chairmanships we have, and a full list can be found at supertalk.fm. J.T. Mitchell and I worked hard to kind of get the full list, show you where they're from, what party they represent, and everything, so check out our website for that. Another big story that happened earlier this week, Gerard, uh, with local interest here in the Jackson area, the Mississippi Braves will be playing their last season at Trustmark Park. Uh, like their radio ads say, just getting started. We're the Mississippi Braves. Well, they'll be getting just getting started for one final season, one final hurrah, despite efforts from the state to retain them. Yep. So Diamond Baseball Holdings, the company that owns the Mississippi Braves, had been in a 10-year contract renewal discussion with City leaders in Pearl are trying to, you know, keep their spot in Trustmark Park. But a brand-new facility, state-of-the-art facility, was built in Columbus, Georgia. And it was reported that, you know, they're trying to entice the Mississippi Braves to go to the state of Georgia, the Peach State, to kind of round out the list of minor league affiliates for the Atlanta Braves in the state of Georgia. Because the Mississippi Braves are the only ones not. Not in the Georgia. Yes. Yeah. And so the state offered of Mississippi offered a $1 million incentive to keep them – uh, Mayor Jake Windham said that they worked tirelessly and effortless or effortlessly to keep the Braves there, but it didn't work to no avail, and they will be heading to Georgia after this season. But uh, the mayor did say he's going to try to find some other minor league team, minor league affiliate to come to the Metro Jackson. Area. Okay, interesting. The issue that they had though was the Braves had the second to lowest attendance in the uh, Southern League and. The contract, you know, it expires after this year with Trustmark Park. So a lot of things in the negative for the Braves. And I, I've gone to many Mississippi Braves games. I go to several each year. And, and the fact of the matter is they're not packed out. People yeah. don't go. They don't show up unless it's a big fireworks night. Or really their biggest draw is when Ole Miss and Mississippi State play each other there in the Governor's Cup. And so if really it's kind of an indictment on the Metro Jackson area for not supporting the team. 
there's just more interest in college athletics than there is professional Absolutely. athletics, I think it's fair to say. And I think the, the Braves putting their, their minor league teams close to the big league team yeah. where you've got uh, just a big contingent of people in the state of Georgia that are, of course, huge Braves fans. And they're going to want to go watch the farm teams play yeah. in the state of Georgia because yeah. those are the guys getting called right. up to play. And we've seen so many Mississippi Braves players get called up to the yeah. Atlanta Braves. So if you want to hang around, we got a couple of other matters to discuss. Uh, there's a bit of a rift between Representative Benny Thompson and uh, yep. Governor Tate Reeves. And, of course, MUW had a name change, but did they? I've seen, <laughs> you know, some retreat on that a little bit. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs> you ever Appreciate been on a horse that. with no name, Gerard? <laughs> I have not. That you I know mind? of. I've been on some horses, but they all had names. <laughs> as far as I know. Yeah, I was I was kicked by a horse one time. I'll never forget his name. I just called him Meanie. <laughs> Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News, uh, once again in the Element Well studio. All right, so uh, tell us a little bit more about this little conflict between the governor and Representative Benny Thompson. So Congressman Benny Thompson is coming after Governor Tate Reeves after Mississippi joined 14 other states in opting out of this federal program brought by the USDA. It's a summer EBT program to bridge the gap for students, youth that are uh, that qualify for reduced lunch at school. Well, this will provide about $120 for them for the summer to uh, have access to groceries, farmers markets, etc., to be fed during the summer's mo- summer months while they're not in school. Well, Governor Tate Reeves opted out of it, and then Congressman Thompson blasted him, saying that he was that the governor was creating further obstacles for families in Mississippi to navigate to try to feed their families. You know, it was intended to help impoverished individuals, those at or below 185 percent of the federal poverty line. Well, the governor responded to Congressman Thompson's claims, and his camp came to us, came to Super Talk, and. Uh, told us that, you know, we have plans in Mississippi. We have summer programs. We have these implementations in place already to feed youth. And he basically said that the program was an expansion of the federal government at the state level, and they were using COVID-19 money to make this possible. And the governor said, you know, the pandemic's over. 
we don't need this anymore. We don't need this expansion of federal government. We need to limit the influence of the federal government in the state, not increase it. And so that's why he rejected the proposal. That's at least what he told us. And um, so that's kind of the gist of it right there. The federal program, again, intended to help needy families provide $120 of assistance per eligible child for the entire summer. But the governor said, no, we don't need that. We already have programs in place in Mississippi. Go check out the M- uh, the MDHS. Wow. Okay. And so you shared with me a couple other states have, have dealt with this as well. Yes. Yeah, Iowa, the Gov- Governor yeah. Reynolds there in Iowa said, no, we don't want it because we have an obesity problem here. It would probably be a good thing for people in our state to eat less. <laughs> Unbelievable. And the governor of Nebraska, another state that opted out of it, echoed a similar sentiment to Governor Reeves saying, you know, no, we don't need increased federal presence in our state. We've already – we're good. We have programs at hand. Come to us. Come to the state. We'll, we'll take care of you. I got you. And so that's just a difference. And I understand. Uh, Congressman Thompson has, has championed this. He pushed for this with, with – uh, you know, it passed with bipartisan support in Congress in 2022 with the implementation date set for this year, the summer of 2024. And so he pushed for this, you know, using his spot in Congress. But uh, he's also up for re-election this year, too. So there's probably some playing to the base there. To, okay. You know, you know, he wants his voters to show up for him and see that he's championing these causes that, you know, and Congressman Thompson does represent a rural and relatively poor part of the state for mm-hmm. a lot of his district. And so it makes sense that he's, you know, championing these causes. And Governor Reeves has been adamant that he is going to resist increased federal presence in the state of Mississippi. So it obviously makes sense that he rejected this notion. Tell us about MUW and the name change and where that stands now. So Mississippi University uh, for Women has agreed to a name change to rename the university to Mississippi Brightwell University. However, that's pending legislative and IHL review. And we've seen some lawmakers come out saying, yeah, not too sure I like that name. Uh, a friend of the program, I know a good friend of yours, Representative Fred Shanks, took to Facebook to ask the public, yeah. hey, my decision can be swayed by this. What do you guys think? I don't know if I'm convinced on this. And a lot of people are like scratching their heads about it, thinking that there were other alternatives that would have made more sense. Me personally, I liked the idea of the University of Northern Mississippi rather than Mississippi Brightwell University. But my two cents doesn't matter much in the grand scheme of things. But the IHL has to approve the name change and the state legislature has to approve the name change. And we'll see because there's been a lot of pushback on this name. And so I don't know if the W will reconvene and come up with something else or if they're going to stay the course. But that's kind of where things stand with that. Yeah. Well, they did issue a statement yesterday, the uh, the president, I believe, did, uh, of the university, and uh, maybe they're having some th- second thoughts about it is kind of the essence of that communication. Well, when the consensus opinion is kind of to the contrary, that leads the powers that be to kind of figure things out and then reconvene and you know, have further discussions. Maybe we do need to alter something. Yeah. says, uh, I'm actively reviewing all feedback. I value your insights and experiences in this process. Our commitment to rebranding is unwavering as we recognize the importance of name, a name mm-hmm. that encapsulates our dedication to inclusivity and excellence in serving future populations. So, yeah, I will say that just anecdotally, I, uh, the, the day this happened, I was uh, down around the Capitol and at a couple of events, saw a, a number of legislators, and they had received lots of feedback from their constituents. Not one single positive Mm -hmm. uh, response. 
So that's kind of telling. And, and, you know, good on the, the university for listening and actively reviewing all the feedback they're getting, and good on them for making the name change to begin with. You know, uh, J.T. Mitchell, he hosts a podcast called From D2 to D3, where he breaks down the D2 and D3 athletics in Mississippi, and he had some, a representative from the W on his show, and they were talking about the importance of the name change, you know, to make male students and male athletes there particularly yeah. feel more welcome and proud of their university. So <laughs> we'll see what happens in the future, but we'll keep you updated on anything regarding the W and their name change on, at supertalk.fm. Oh, we had a, a, a rift, too. We, we mentioned a rift between uh, Congressman Thompson and Governor Tate Reeves. Well, on a more local level in Jackson, uh, the Mississippi State Department of Health issued a boil water alert for the cities of Jackson and Flowood after E. coli was detected yeah. in water samples. Well, interim third-party water manager of Jackson, Ted Hennepin, came out and was like, no, we, we don't think so. We think you should retest this because the, it's kind of irregular to have E. coli tested positive at from multiple sites at one time like that, and he said, you know, I, I, I recommend you, you guys at the state level retest these samples. Well, the state came back and said, no, we followed all the rules and regulations. We followed all the procedures to a T. There's no chance of cross-contamination, no chance that this was a false positive. Nope, we're not retesting. Okay. Well, the city of Jackson, or Jackson Water, the organization that oversees water operations in the city, has since retested samples from all 120 locations across the city, and no E. coli found. Okay. So they're going to have to retest again for the next two days and present two days' worth of clean samples mm. to the state health department to get the advisory cleared. But they're going to still they're going to be good soldiers and abide by the advisory despite the state's kind of refusal to, you know, to oblige with the their request to retest. Continuing water saga. I know what it is. It, it's kind of <laughs> weird to see. And you know, I'm just reporting the news and telling you what's happening. But it's kind of interesting to see, you know, Jackson got a lot of flack for its handling of the water situation. It's kind of interesting to see the pendulum swing the other way this time around. Um, but that, that's the big storyline okay. there. We'll see. I, I expect the advisory to be lifted sometime this weekend. I got something to share that's, a, that's newsworthy. It's from the Secretary of State's office. Apparently, a text was sent on the text line this morning during the, uh, the Gallo show where someone indicated in the text, that they were under the impression that the Secretary of State's office was actually providing some sort of scholarships, LGBTQ scholarships specifically. And uh, Mr. Gallo apparently asked Senator Angel Hill, who was a guest, to look into that. So the Secretary of State's aware of this. They've already receiving calls, believe it or not. And so I've got official communication from them that said, I want to offer clarity uh, and note that the Secretary of State's office does not provide any scholarships of any sort whatsoever. So that That's interesting. The only scholarship that, that I was aware of that's been offered recently was the Treasurer's office is, is offering a scholarship for their uh, art program, and if you want to apply for that, you can go to supertalk.fm to see all the details there, but I had no idea. That, of course, is completely separate and different separate. than the Secretary completely of State. Separate. Which is, separate the main entity. point is the Secretary of State is not in the scholarship offering no, business. That's no, the main that's thing. not their handling. Yeah. No, And that's interesting that that was floated out this morning. No, Who knows? That, no. The Secretary of State's office does not do that, Mississippi. And if, if anything like that happens, we will be the first to inform you at Super Talk. Yeah. So, but you know, when somebody says on the text line, you, you don't know, you no. know, where where they got it from. And so, I'm, I'm not saying it was inappropriate for Mr. Gallo. Certainly, I think it's appropriate to yeah. ask the uh, sitting uh, state senator. Maybe something we ought to look into. But 
apparently it's been looked into because it, the, yeah. it's kind of spreading, and the Secretary of State has received some calls about it, and they just wanted us to get the word out that the Secretary of State's office does not provide any way, shape, or form scholarships. It's well, not their business. Good on them to, per, to add some transparency there, too, yeah. so the listening audience isn't confused about exactly. that throughout the day. So we just wanted to pass that on. Wow, that's a full slate of news, <laughs> and then guess what's going to happen next week after they're in session for a week with committees. We'll have even more to talk more about. More news, more news. <laughs> Appreciate it, Caleb. Thanks Thank a you, lot. Gerard. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. There's a point on a western bay and it serves Looking glass, Brandy. Back with you in the Element Well studio, we are. It is middays. We're wrapping up the first full week of 2024, and then it's Katie Bar the Door next week when those legislators start meeting and dropping those bills. Uh, Looking forward to it once again. I just want to pass on, not a shameless plug, but honestly, it's just an invitation for folks to read this uh, rather comprehensive piece that you can find at supertalk.fm that that, uh, I penned about health care entitled, We Need to Look Outside of the Box to Solve Mississippi Healthcare Woes, Mississippi's Healthcare Woes. So... It uh, warning again. It's long. It's comprehensive. However, and it's a bit of a tutorial just on healthcare uh, economic policy primarily, and dig a little bit into the origins of the Affordable Care Act and uh, its its purported purpose, and kind of where we are now relative to what that was all about. A lot of folks, for example, will I talk about in the article? There were fourteen taxes in the ACA. Most of those been eliminated. There was a tax on insurance companies, pharmaceutical makers, medical device manufacturers. Here's a rather obscure one, tanning beds. There was a 10% tanning bed tax. True story. Uh, The big one that's still in effect is what's called the net investment income tax. That's 3.8%. Anybody that has capital gains and uh, pays taxes on those at the federal level, You've got the capital gains tax, and then you layer on 3.8% for certain capital gains, certain so-called passive income gains, and uh, that also gets incorporated into your tax bill. That's still around. That was actually designed uh, to provide additional funding for Medicare, uh, sometimes referred to as the Medicare tax. However, Medicare is still upside down by a long shot, big time, bleeding money. And scheduled to go broke. 
I say go broke. Scheduled to uh, deplete the trust fund, which augments the contributions coming into the program. We're still subsidizing. I say subsidizing. Income taxes still cover a big portion of Medicare expenses because the combination of what they draw out of the trust fund and what is paid in by active employees in the form of contributions doesn't cover the bills, expenses going out. That's why it is scheduled to reach a uh, uh, an inflection point in 2028. Now think about that. Medicare is going to be unable to meet its obligations in the next presidential term. A president's got to deal with it, and the Congress. They got to come up with something. Otherwise, the entire health care. I mean, if Medicare stopped paying hospitals what they owe them, for example, providers, clinics, that shuts down the health care industry in the country. That can't happen. That's how serious that issue is. You don't hear people talking about it that much. No. Um, nobody wants to deal with it. Nobody wants to deal with it. Just like Somebody's got to be the bad guy. Just like Social Security. Just like PERS at the state level. You know, we got folks talking about that now. I say we. I mean, I, I don't, it's not because of me. I think it's just because the PERS board and the executive director and media, uh, such as us, have been calling attention to it. And, yeah, that does get the attention of lawmakers. They know it. But not a popular thing to do in the term or two leading up to election year. But now in the first term, when that's kind of a – out in the distance, this is the time to really buckle down and address it. And I believe there's an interest in doing that. I, I will say that. No, none of the legislators have said, no, we're just not going to deal with that. No, in fact, all of them have said, yeah, we know. we got a problem. We've got to deal with it. So I um, I look forward to hearing kind of what comes out of that. I, I hope they'll maybe take a gander at some of the ideas that I float just as a way to stimulate the creative juices. The same thing with the health care situation. It's Certainly, I'm not coming forward saying, "Yeah, I, I got all the all the uh, problems solved here." No, it's complicated. It's hard, but it gets you thinking about things. And that's the main thing. And we need a bunch of smart people from a cross section. And I talk about that in the article that we should assemble, we should convene a brain trust, if you will. And you know, that's not just lawmakers, but of course, you got economists, you got finance people, you got scholarly lawyers, you got insurance industry clinicians. Ethicists, faith leaders, all business, the private sector, all need to have a seat at the table to talk about this issue, in my view. And I think there's an appetite to kind of form up sort of a blue ribbon panel, if you will, to do just that. Uh, but because problem ain't going away. Now, certainly, big win for the state in Governor Reeves' proposal to reform the payment process with Medicaid. We saw the report. By the way, there's an article on our website, supertalk.fm, that was um, authored by J.T. Mitchell, our news director. Did a great job of explaining what that's all about. But CMS did approve that. $658 million being distributed across the hospitals in the state that participate in that. It's time for a break on middays. It is noon, high noon in the state of Mississippi. Fox News, Super Talk News up next, and then more talk and tickets to give away. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
back, everyone. Hour three of Middays is live, the afternoon portion on this Friday, y'all. <laughs> so on the ceasefire text line, we were talking about potential vice presidential picks by former President Donald Trump. Uh, should he become the Republican nominee? I feel like he will be. Uh, Kristen Summit says Christy Nome potentially. I don't think so. I, I just don't. I am uh I'm fairly convinced that it's down to two. Elise Stefanik, she would be my favorite as the pick, or Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. Also was in the presidential race and dropped out. I don't know. Um and I don't I don't have anything, you know, that just I guess su- to support that. Nothing empirical. It's just a gut feel. I could be wrong, and that's that's great. That's fine. Just a just a gut feel at this point. Um, you know, I said I'd say before Christmas that I was leaning towards the notion that Joe Biden would not be the Democrat nominee, but I but I'm, I've had a change of heart on that. I think we're just too close, and I think they've been busy cutting deals in the background. With these delegates, like I said earlier, and I just think ultimately it's going to be him. Now, Will, you remember this. Most people thought shortly after he assumed office, he'll never make it through all four years. You heard that over and over and over again. On on who, Trump or Biden? Because I heard it on both. Well, yeah. When (laughs) Trump was elected, you heard that. But, you know, specifically on Biden, just because of his frailty and his, you know, his apparent um, just feebleness. But, uh, you know... At this point, he ain't got long to go to make it through the, I mean, you know, a year, essentially. Uh, so he's made it three-quarters of the way. Anything can happen. Only God knows. We don't yeah. know. But I guess the, the interesting thing now with Biden is, does he keep Kamala Harris? Man, I don't know. And I, I know. That's a big problem the Democrats have on their hand. They know it. It's been a long time. I mean, I think you've got to go what? I know Nixon, of course, Nixon's VP got uh, indicted, uh, his first one, and then Ford came along. Yeah. I think you got to go back to what, to Roosevelt, to where a sitting president who was running for re-election changed VP candidates? Okay. Uh, midstream there? Yeah, because yeah. no, Roosevelt uh, had like four, four different terms. ones. Yeah, and four I think terms. He had, I think he had four different vice I may be wrong about that, but it was at least okay. three that I know of. So yeah, so it doesn't happen very often. It's very rare. It's a, it's a big sign of we got a problem here. Yeah, I mean, her, in the polls, she is just wildly unpopular. I mean, she is thirty percent. I mean, low thirties. I think lower than Joe Biden. In, um, in most in most presidents, I would say, you know, I'm going to be the guy and or gal, yeah. and you know. They're just the vice president who does nothing. Yep. In this case, though, being as old as he is and as frail as he seems to be, maybe this becomes a topic of conversation. Okay. It could be. Maybe not. Yeah, it could be. On the ceasefire text line, Newsmax talking about Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith last night. Were they talking about the senator possibly being Trump's VP running mate? I don't know. Angela Hill is too conservative for Marjorie Taylor Greene on the ceasefire text line. I saw where 
Representative Green's got some campaign finance problems. I don't know if you saw that. She apparently was uh, in her uh, her candidate's campaign materials was promoting a PAC, her, a PAC that supports her. And that's a no-no. There's supposed to be a hard line there. So on that, I hadn't heard a lot about that, but I saw it about a week ago. School choice may be dead with the Education Committee chairman who is in place. I do not believe he will support school choice, and it is the last his last term, pardon me. He has already said he is not worried about controversy, so school choice is probably dead before we get going. So I, I guess my question would be, are you talking about the Education Committee chair in the House or the Senate? Not sure. So we got um, Rob Robertson in the uh, is the chair this time in the house and uh, yeah just making sure I got the right yep vice chair Kent McCarty from the Hattiesburg area and in the past it's been Richard Bennett now Mr. Bennett Representative Bennett clearly opposed skill choice I should also point out that Speaker of the House Philip Gunn was really not a uh, proponent of skill choice either he did I, I noticed Come around a bit, I guess is a good way to put that in the in the last year in his last term. But prior to that, um, never really saw that um, he was in favor of it. You know, beyond what we have, you've heard Lieutenant Governor Hosman on on uh, the show with Mr. Gallo last week. What he'll typically point to is, hey, we already have charter schools, we have the education savings accounts for dyslexia, for special needs. We already have school choice is kind of the way he puts it. Um, he's right. So we do we do have those programs in place, but that stops short of uh, say a public to private school choice education savings account or more universal school choice, which is what exists in Florida that does allow a student to choose any school they want to go to, any education setting, and have their money follow them. It could be homeschool, uh, micro school is another uh, option that uh, is is a, uh, a method of educating youngsters. So, uh, and Thomas Greenwood said something the other day. He's not happy, just earlier, I should say, not the other day. He's not happy about uh, school choice. Uh, what, what did you say here? Uh, so if my kid is in a B school, they won't be able to choose an A school. Works in Florida. So um, they do have universal school choice in Florida. It's a completely different environment, I would say, Thomas, than it is in Mississippi. But you you should also take into consideration that while they absolutely do allow a student to pick any school they want to go to, they are responsible for their transportation, but it's capacity-based. So you can't, for example, let's take my county, Madison County, where you've got Canton Public Schools. I don't know what their latest grade is, but but typically – they lag behind Madison County schools, just in terms of, of the grading. Now, we could certainly debate the uh, the legitimacy and the validity of the grading. That's a whole other discussion. But if you just take it at face value, so there would be concerns, for example, by families who have their kids in, in Madison schools that, that the students, the families whose kids go to Canton Public Schools, the city of Canton Public Schools, might seek to exit those schools and uh, and just overwhelm Madison County schools, which are close nearby, right? And that would um, overwhelm their capacity, exceed their capacity. 
Well, that's a legitimate concern. There's no doubt about that. But but that's not practical. You can't do that. So you got to have some sort of guardrails around that. And in Florida, it's capacity-based. So public school, and there's calculations of how they determine how many students can you reasonably accommodate. And if you're going to allow students to transfer from other schools, um, then you've got to have capacity, room for them, based on those calculations. So it's, it doesn't just open the floodgates and say, hey, okay, we got universal school choice, all those that uh, you can go anywhere you want, and if you're not happy with your school and you want to change, just enroll. doesn't work that way. There's, there's some restrictions based on capacity. I just want to pass that on. In Florida, now, you don't have to have that, but Florida largely looked at as uh, the model that, I guess, has the most expansive education choice because it's universal, meaning you can go anywhere. Um, But then there are others that kind of phase it in. That's another approach. Because this gets asked all the time, well, what is it exactly? And it's it's a valid question. It's whatever the legislature can agree to. That's what it is. You got the Florida model on on kind of um, the high end of the scale with respect to universal school choice. Then you got the more limited, say, Arkansas model. I also saw that Governor Kemp in Georgia just last week. Now he's come around. He's always been opposed to it. He's blocked it in Georgia. And last week he made some statement where he's seeing the wisdom, I guess, the value of school choice. Now again. What their program looks like is up to their legislature, just like it would be up to our legislature. But if you started with, for example, a a public-to-private program, uh, and and think about some some criteria for that. You've got a a household income that's below a certain percent of the federal poverty level. You attend a failing school or a D-rated school. Uh, On that basis, you could apply for an education savings account and that money could be then used as a voucher to pay for private school tuition. Doesn't mean it covers the full cost of tuition. It's just the state portion or some amount of the state portion that would follow the child to pay for their tuition to private school. Maybe that's something we do just to get something started there, and then we work towards universal. EWNF bump on us out of this segment here. We're in the third hour of middays and coming right back. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. American Indian rock group Redbone on the ceasefire de- uh, text line. Delbert is not good for Mississippi. Amanda and Sturgis. Not a popular opinion, says Ben. But I believe we should consolidate a larger, a large number of our universities. We just have too many. Yeah, it's not a popular opinion, never going to happen. I'm not really convinced we would achieve anything by doing that. I mean, I'd have to see some financial models. Um, The students got to go somewhere. So the question is, if they were to be absorbed into the other schools within the state, or if they're out of state, they'd probably just leave. But if they're in-state students, they uh, would be absorbed into into the other schools. Do they have capacity? 
And if not, then they got to increase cost. I mean, yes. it's, it's complicated. And there's a something on down the road that's about to hit, and you know what I'm talking about, and that is the cliff that they're talking about with college students. Yep. Basically, mm-hmm. there's going to be a less and less moving forward. Um, and there's universities that are in a pretty bad position right now because they've overspent, they've overgrown, they have a lot of capacity, and they're not going to have the students there. The U.S. population is shrinking. Uh, we're much older than we were, unless people are going to college, frankly. Yeah, that that is an issue, no doubt. And you've got more and more employers who are dropping the requirement for an employee to have a college degree. We talked about that. Rhino did a couple uh, weeks ago. There's a number of reports uh, coming out in the in the business media, you yep. know, discussing that uh, companies that historically have required college degrees for certain positions, even executive level positions, and they're not Walmart is an example, and they of course hire a bunch of people. Um, some of that I think is because it, there's other ways to gain the knowledge you need to function in those jobs than just going to college. That's one thing, and then I, I think there's. There's been somewhat, I would say, of a of a diminishing of the just the value of a, a college degree, depending on the major, of course, and the and the course of study. I think the figures into that, but yeah, I do think that those are dynamics that are are going to be in play, and and that we're going to see some serious changes. And you're right, there are a number of colleges and universities, especially small liberal arts schools, are really struggling to make ends meet, and it's it's a question as to whether or not they will survive, you know, financially. I mean, we've got some issues, you know, in our state with some of the small schools that you're aware of, Will, that, you know, they're trying to figure out a way to resolve their financial situation. Yeah, so. there's there's a lot of universities that are across the nation that are, I mean, they're, they, they've overspent because for years, you know, they kept growing and growing and growing. Well, you know, we're going to keep growing and growing. Well, it's not happening. You look at the University of Arizona, for example. They are facing a financial cliff. Hmm. I, I don't know, know if that. you've seen that. Uh, they basically held a, probably a month or two ago, they held a uh, emergency meeting of the Board of Trustees and basically say, we're out. We're done. We, we don't have any money. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We're out of money. <clears throat> well, I, I think you're going to start seeing schools which have athletics that run in the red that cost money, have a net cost, you're going to start seeing them dropping athletic programs. Uh, I think it's one thing. Now, you know, in the past, at like small schools, junior colleges, D2, and so forth, a lot of times athletic scholarships were just to get students. Mm-hmm. It's just the the, um, the critical mass of having students and and how that would attract other students was was really the, the strategy there. Yeah. So that's a problem. University of Arizona addressing a $240 million Good. budget shortfall. I had no idea. No idea. They unveiled an extensive financial recovery plan in mid-December. Wow. Uh, the university, of course, located in Tucson, Arizona, Arizona State University in Tempe, which is mm-hmm. uh, suburban Phoenix. The uh, Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. That is incredible. So I think you're going to see some more um, universities, especially the ones that borrowed money to yeah. bond, you know, all that stuff to ramp up. It's not going to happen overnight, but it, as the college population declines, I think you're going to see more and more of this. And I yeah. think you know, the smaller universities are going to be hurt, obviously. Yeah, and and I mean that's a that's a phenomenon occurring across the country where there's yeah. a, a decline in enrollment. Uh, there's no doubt, and that that is starting to take its toll. Uh, and they'll they'll have to 
uh, come up with something to to mediate that, essentially. So we'll see. What do all these waters companies do with money from the water bill? They operate the water system. That's on the ceasefire tax line. I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to be uh, arrogant in the response there. I'm not really sure what the question is. It, it does. There is a cost associated with operating uh, a water service. Uh, it's constant maintenance, constant, especially given the fact that most water systems in this country, certainly in our communities in Mississippi, including Jackson, are old, Very ancient, old. and and were installed way before we had more modern materials and technology that are a lot more reliable. So it's incredibly expensive to keep up, maintain, and repair um, all of those systems and keep the water flowing. And then you've got the, the big... Uh, process of filtering the water and, and preparing it for consumption to make it potable, and that, that costs a lot of money as well. I mean, that's constant. So, um, you know, if you look at the organizational chart of a water company, there are not a lot of people, honestly, that are in the back office, so to speak. You've got to have a minimum amount just to, to uh, take care of the administrative function. But I wouldn't exactly say that any that I've seen, they're they're kind of heavy in that. In the city of Jackson, the problem is they weren't collecting the money. That That's pretty well known now. That's been exposed it, and documented. It was, a, it was a process of, we're, you know, the money collection system wasn't working, so yep. we're not collecting money. Therefore, we start cutting uh, the number of people that we have to maintain it, and then all of a sudden the maintenance goes, you know. Yeah, that's, and that's what's going on there. Someone said, Robin Hattiesburg, the samples can't be retested. I'd take your word for it, Rob, over my head. Uh, James in Hattiesburg, I thought it would be Ben Carson as the VP. I don't think Mr. Carson really is a, is that popular. He's kind of faded out of the limelight after he ran for president. I don't, I don't think he fits President Trump, honestly, as a running mate. I think at least Stefanik does quite well. Tim Scott does uh, quite well. So still hanging my hat on that. Jay from the Res, Nikki Haley would make a great running mate for Trump. Don't see it happening. I really don't. My biggest fear is that Trump, this is Patrick in Louisville, doesn't get the nomination and then runs independent, splits the party, and then Biden or whoever uh, they nominate walks in. Yeah, that's possible. I, I don't see it happening, though. I think Trump gets the nomination. The, the thing that would keep Mr. Trump from getting to that point are all his legal problems, and they're still fairly serious, fairly serious. It looks like that he's not going to get immunity in the Washington trial about his involvement in insurrection at the Capitol, that case. He's been in court all week, which is crazy. He did the town hall, yep. but he's been in court all week. He's been in New York. He's been in Washington. He did deliver some, kind of defied the judge, and he spoke. The judge wanted his lawyers to speak. He spoke. judge let him go three or four minutes in New York, and uh, I don't think he did himself any favors, honestly. In his, uh, I'm not saying what he said was inaccurate. I just don't know that that will figure in well for him to prevail in his case. He now says the 2020 election wasn't stolen. Right. That, that's I have seen thing. that. Yeah. yeah. I have seen that as well. He sure has. I am, let's see, on the ceasefire tax line, school choice. Okay, I'm talking about the Senate. I live in the Senator's District. Okay. So uh, I'm talking about school choice. This is the person on the ceasefire tax line who said, I think it's dead because of the person that's been uh, appointed as the chair in the Senate. And uh, we shared that with you a minute ago. That's, uh, that's Rob Robertson, right, that is the education chair, I believe. I got that right. Uh, let me make sure that I'm telling you 
the right thing. Uh, no, pardon me. Rob's in the house. What am I thinking about? No, it's uh, it's Dennis DeBar. Uh, my, my apologies. Representative Rob Robertson. We've interviewed him many times. I was still in house mode. Uh, that, is a, that is a flip from Richard Bennett, who prior served in that role, who definitely was an opponent of school choice. Senator DeBar from Leakesville, I believe he's been the, the education chair for some time, uh, Will, as I recall. Um, yeah, I don't see him as a big fan of school choice either, but you got to think about who's the lieutenant governor. The lieutenant governor it, it just doesn't seem to support school choice based on his interview with Mr. Gallo last week and just my conversations with him beyond what we presently have. He's always expressed to me his aversion is um, using public money to pay for private services in that case. So, you know, public money, paying for tuition to a private school, I guess I would say, well, gosh, the public sector spends a lot of money with the private sector so the government can function. I mean, there are a lot of goods and services that are procured from the private sector. I lived in that world. IT is a huge one that, uh, you, you know, you, you um, of course, procure those services, those products and services from private companies. So, But you remember the wildlife situation was something that the lieutenant governor um, objected to. That was this matching program. We had the folks on the show many times. Um, Don Brazel, Chris Gurus, all those guys, where he opposed uh, Mississippi participating in that program, which was a federal state matching conservation funding program because some of that money would go to private landowners. Finally got something done there on a bit limited basis, but we're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Half an hour left on this Friday. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. It's Middays in the Element Well Studio. How would you feel about Mark Robinson from North Carolina? This is on the ceasefire text line. For Trump's VP pick, he speaks the truth like Trump does. I like Mr. Robinson. I liked him since the first time I saw him. Can't remember what the occasion was. Maybe it was... Was it at the RNC, perhaps? Um, back then, I, I don't know. But the first time I saw him speak in public, and, I, and I've watched a couple of his videos, more than a couple. No, I don't think he'd be a good VP. I really don't. Uh, I, not that I don't think he'd be a good VP. I don't think he'd be a good VP choice at this point uh, to really excite the voters. Let's put it that way. That need to be excited to win the presidency. And, and again, forget the popular vote. It's irrelevant. That's the one thing you got to think about when you're talking about presidential politics, presidential elections. That's irrelevant. The Republican is going to lose the popular vote by a lot. Again, that doesn't get the president elected. What gets him elected are the electoral votes. Got to win the states. And it really comes down to about four states. And within those four states, 
it's a total of about 15 counties. It's just not that many. That's where you got to win. And within those counties, it's the voters that can vote either party. They're so-called swing voters in swing counties and swing states. That's why they call them that, because they kind of uh, they're, they're not buttoned up before the election starts. You look at California, uh, New York, on the Democrat side, Connecticut, New Jersey, Washington, Oregon, Illinois, they're done deal. Minnesota, just keep going down the list. New Jersey, Rhode Island, Delaware, they're, they're, they're in the books for the Democrats before you ever cast a vote. On the Republican side, you guys know that. It's Mississippi, it's Oklahoma, it's Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, hopefully Texas, hopefully Florida, the two big Republican states. Uh, and so it comes down to it comes down to now Georgia to some extent, not historically a swing state, proved to be in the last cycle, proved to be in the Senate election. Now, I know a lot of folks are saying out there, well, that's just because the election was stolen. But, gosh, when you look at – Trump how, just said the election was not stolen. Not only that, but you look at Governor Brian Kemp, the Republican. I mean, he defeated the person who's probably got more uh, effort, more strategy, more – uh, activism on getting the vote out than anybody else in the country. And he won by a lot. But the president didn't uh, in the last cycle. But nonetheless, that's a completely different debate. Then you got Arizona. But the big ones are Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. That, that's really where the rubber meets the road. It used to be Ohio was the kind of the, always considered you can't win the White House, as a Republican, unless you win Ohio, is always considered the, sort of the quintessential purple state. But now it's it's Pennsylvania. And you got the west of Pennsylvania, and you got the Philadelphia, the east of Pennsylvania. you got Michigan. you got Wisconsin. And again, think back to 2016. It's when Trump carried those states. Hillary and didn't visit uh, Wisconsin. She didn't do it. She lost it. He did. I mean, he hats did. off to him. And, he and, did. and that paid off for him. And the MSNBC folks and the CNN commentators that night were crying when they saw Pennsylvania call. They knew it at that point. It's over. So that's all I'm saying is that, um, you know, uh, I, I like Mr. Robinson a lot. I think he'd be great. I think he's got a future. I think Byron Donalds does as well. Somebody, I think, suggested him. I pay a lot of attention to him. Uh, I guess because I kind of lean more into economic matters, he's a wealth manager. That's what he does in Florida. And I think he'd be excellent. I've, I've uh, he's on the Business Channel a lot. He does great. I think he'd be fantastic. Honestly, he may be future Speaker of the House. I mean, you know, he was nominated some in the in the in this uh, cycle this past year that that uh, has, has been as tumultuous as anything we've ever seen with respect to yeah. electing a Speaker. By the way, we're seven days away from needing some money to keep the government going. And Mike Johnson, who was thought to be the uh, the conservative champion, the poster boy, right? This couldn't do any better than Mike Johnson as the Speaker of the House. And I'm not condemning Mr. Johnson, but we did say here on the program, don't expect any big changes here, you know, just because we replaced who many thought was not conservative enough and and Kevin McCarthy with Mike Johnson, who who brings a, an extremely conservative re, uh, resume, and he was really thought to be the conservative savior. Well, now he's he's now going out to his party and defending his decision to work with Democrats in the House and Senate uh, on a spending package. He's defending it. You know why? I think well, he fears 
being the speaker when the government gets shut down. And he knows probably the only way we're going to avoid shutdown is to come to some agreement at this level of spending. Uh, And rather than going through the regular order, which uh, I certainly support and believe that's what we ought to be doing, that means we passed these 12 spending bills. So far we've passed four. We've got eight more to do. They don't look any closer to me. We've got a week left. I just don't see it. I, I see us moving forward with another continuing resolution package, the same thing that ultimately caused Kevin McCarthy to lose his job. Here we go again. Where are you, Mike Johnson? You were going to fix all that. I never thought so, honestly. It's just because we don't have the span of control that you that uh, if you had, you could be more effective and avoid these kinds of situations. You're still beholden to a Democrat-controlled Senate and a Democrat in the White House. And you can say, we're going to stand our ground. Okay, well, that's going to shut the government down. And then it's who's going to blink. Well, both sides are telling them, don't blink. <laughs> so it just continues, and then it just depends on how much political risk you want to take. Who who gets blamed for that more than than others? You know, how does that affect them? In an upcoming, you got a presidential election, you got every House seat, and I think 30 or 31 Senate seats coming up. So they're all thinking about how that might affect their re-election chances. But that's where we are. Credible. Uh, someone also said, it was Ben earlier, was uh, expressing concerns, Thomas did too, about the uh, this bombing that's going on, the Hooties that was ordered by the president, and these, I guess, uh, military responses by this country. In the UK. Yeah, and that's right, in a joint uh, effort there. And there's concerns that, hey, we haven't declared war, the Congress hasn't declared war. And that gets into the complicated legal matter of does the president have authority just to order this kind of response? Is that even considered war? You know, is that does that require a formal congressional declaration of war? Uh, I think back of Ronald Reagan when he attacked Libya, surprise attack. Remember that Muammar Gaddafi, yeah. and man, he wore him out. And honestly, you didn't hear from that fool anymore after that. Well, he did notify. I think the president has an obligation when they're going to do something like this to notify select congressional leaders. And I think there's some rules around, you know, you can't make this a prolonged, protracted situation without a formal declaration of war. But I I share their concerns that if you get a president that gets a little too zealous and exercises too much power, but then also get concerned that, gosh, if we got to wait for the Congress and there's bombs coming at us, I don't want to have to wake them all up and say, hey, we got to get down there and vote for this. And by the time they even show up, they've blown up Washington. I don't want that. There's got to be some happy medium there. And I know that's probably to some people say, so that's hyperbole. Man, I don't know. We had a balloon across the country from communist China that was using our Internet. <laughs> so... Uh, we had spy stations set up in Cuba, you know, by our enemies. Um, but I get it. I don't want the president to have so much power that, you know, they start dictating the use of military assets to a degree that, no, that really needs more authority from the Congress. There's got to be some something reasonable there uh, in, in the middle that would work. Let's, uh, let's see. 
No, the Supreme Court was, uh, in fact, requested, instead of the appeals court, somebody says, I don't have my information right. Talking about this request for immunity, um, that right now they said they won't hear the dispute. That happened back in December, just so you'll know, um, that they wouldn't hear the case. It's not ruling on immunity, it's the case. It's uh, And it was brought from special counsel Jack Smith. Um, they were trying to get to that. So I don't know where it's going to go. It may go to the Supreme Court. Uh, they may finally say, okay, we're going to take this thing up. I don't know what's going to happen if that's the case. Uh, I'm just really sharing with you what some um, legal experts have said, that um, presidential immunity doesn't apply when you're not the president. That, that's kind of been their take on it. I don't know. It's over my head. I'm just passing on what I'm hearing out there. Not sure where all that's going. But I do know this, the president's going to be running a campaign at the same time he's going to be involved in some lawsuits. I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but that certainly would would be uh, something that consumes his time. But so far, that doesn't seem to be a problem, although he hadn't really been traversing Iowa, you know, like the other candidates have. I don't think it's going to affect him. I think he's going to win. we got the final segment of Middays when we return. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. I can see her lying back in her satin dress in a room where you do what you don't confess. Sundown you better The Great White North, Gordon Lightfoot. Kind of a storyteller. I always loved uh, Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Speaking of stories. Yeah. (laughs) 28-minute long song. (laughs) You put it on, you can go to the bathroom, go to the grocery store, come back. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I always liked that one. Yeah, I agree. It's a great tune. Just seeing here a, a report. Hot off the wire says a far left climate protest organization received a private White House meeting with the president. Was surrounding, seen surrounding Senator Joe Manchin in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, in an effort to confront him over energy and climate policy. I'm wondering if he's thinking about running for president in New Hampshire there. Vivek needs to be Trump's VP, says Mike in Batesville. So far, he said he's not interested. You know, I'm, I've been a fan of Vivek. I think he's the best at articulating the issues of anybody. Um, he's gotten out there a little bit, in my view, on some things, but that's fine. I, I still uh, like him. I, I, think his, I think his personality would be a little bit of a problem. I think in the debates, he, he kind of exposed himself there and heard a lot of people that were in his, in his court uh, shift away as a result of kind of how he behaved there. So I think it'd be a problem. But I, I think he's got a future. I, th- I think he'd be good. It's going to be Lee Zeldin. I don't think it will be from New York, the representative that ran for governor and came pretty close to unseating Kathy Hochul. Uh, my understanding is that, that the Trump camps looked at Zeldin and thought that 
maybe he could help them carry New York, and then they uh, came to the conclusion, no, nah, we can't carry New York. So I don't think so either. What about Ron Johnson? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, from Wisconsin. Uh, he's, he's a possibility. Um, I just think it's – don't know that uh, another 70-something – White male would help his cause. Think about you know yeah. what you're dealing with here, and that's why I think, I'm thinking about the Wisconsin angle. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that would be good in, in, in Elise Stefanik from New York, but I don't think I think she's there for other purposes than to try to carry New York. Unlike Z, Lee Zeldin, helping the suburbs. Yes, yeah, right. right. Yes, because that, that's what that's, he needs. That's exactly right. In those swing counties where um, they need some help, there, no doubt about it. Uh, agree. Uh, so I. I don't see that at this point. I honestly didn't know Trump has recanted the whole stolen election thing. That surprises me. That's banned from Madison. He did say that uh, here recently. Uh, it was the front page of Politico this morning. Yeah, he said it. He absolutely did. And I can't remember what the occasion, the event was, but he, he did say that. I, I think he's just trying to kind of move away from that more than anything yeah. and focus on getting elected. I, I think somebody's probably done some homework and figured that, again, in those swing counties with those swing voters. They don't care they because don't that's, care. that's in the past, and the yeah. people that want to fight that are going to vote for Trump anyway, so why right. you know, exactly right. dying the, on that hill? The people that you know st- still believe in that uh, strongly that that happened, they're already going to vote for it. That's yeah. right. I don't see them changing their vote. It's the people that feel like he needs to move away from that. That's who you need, and that's how you win. And I think their campaign has calculated that. Gallup just released a new poll that says that 43% of Americans now identify as independent. Wow. Historically, it's been in the 25% range. 43 now. Yeah. Man. Thomas Jefferson sent the Marines to Tripoli to stop the attacks on our shipping, says Moses. a good point. And in this case, remember, I saw a report like the, there's been some 130 attacks on U.S. military assets or service members since October 7th, since the uh, the uh, Hamas uh, invasion of or attack on Israel. So uh, finally a response. Now the Houthis, in fact, are disrupting shipping. Yeah, and 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 of course they're back. Uh, they're a proxy for uh, Iran, and we know that. And they're bad guys, honestly, that want to destroy the country. So, but I get it. I understand folks' concern. I'm not arguing with that. But I also want to be able to respond in a timely fashion as needed. Got to have some mechanism yeah. for that. Uh, let's see here. Um, correct. This is James and Hasbro. Technically, there's no such thing as a national election. Yeah, we're, we were just talking about. Um, him saying you, maybe we ought to stop calling it the presidential election. I, I just do that just to distinguish between those uh, other elected offices that are that are determined by popular vote, the presidential election. And typically, every four years, we sort of refer to that election cycle as the presidential election because it headlines the ballot. That's the first thing you go see on the ballot, and it goes down uh, from there. But I, but I hear um, what you say. Um, he says there's... They are all state elections. Media wants to say that's one election when it's really 51 elections. Okay, I, I, I hear you, but you, I'm just referring to the the nation, the national process of electing a president. That's why I call it the presidential election. So I, I get what you're saying, James. Uh, there was something else that came up. The governor, the government loves to sow dependency so they can harvest those votes. Republicans and Democrats. I hear you, Thomas. Um, I don't know that I completely agree with that, but I understand your concern. I share it. 
Well, we we thank you so much for joining us today. We're back with you again on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. Stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.